Welcome to the Editor's Podcast for the Journal of Public Health Management and Practice. Today, Dr. Lloyd Novick, editor of the journal, talks with two of the editors of a new book, Leading Systems Change in Public Health, a Field Guide for Practitioners, is the first resource written by public health professionals for public health professionals on how to improve public health by utilizing a systems change lens. Edited by leaders from the De Beaumont Foundation and the University of Illinois Chicago School of Public Health, with chapters written by a diverse array of public health leaders, the book provides an evidence-based framework with practical strategies, processes, and tools for enacting meaningful change. The book is edited by Christina Risley, Christina Welter, Grace Castillo, and Brian Castrucci. Our guests today are Christina Risley, an executive and leadership coach with Chris Risley Coaching, and Christina Welter, the director of the Doctorate in Public Health Leadership Program and a clinical assistant professor in the Division of Health Policy and Administration at the University of Illinois Chicago School of Public Health. Today, we're going to discuss an exciting new book with two of the editors, Christina Welter and Chris Risley. The title of the book is Leading Systems Change in Public Health. It details systems thinking, which has been used in other fields, such as business and family therapy. It provides us with the skills we need to use this discipline. I'd like to thank Chris and Christina for this discussion today. Thank you all for the opportunity. Thanks for having us today. Systems change hasn't been used as much as warranted in the public health community. Can you tell us what was the motivation behind developing this book on leading systems change. Why is this book needed? So there are a couple of reasons we felt that the book was needed and we built it the way it, as you see it now. First and foremost, now is the time for systems leadership. There is an urgency, life or death, truly, to our work more than ever before. Public health challenges, our community challenges continue to result in unjust, unequal morbidity and mortality due largely to structural and systemic racism. We know, of course, from COVID-19 that COVID-19 has exacerbated health inequities stemming from longstanding structural and systemic racism. Latinx, Black, and Native American populations have greater COVID-19 related hospitalizations, fatalities compared to their white counterparts. These are unacceptable losses for unacceptable reasons. And so public health practitioners and agencies and their partners have this opportunity to really look at challenges like COVID-19 from a systems change perspective. Uh, so that is one reason that there's just no other time but now where we need to take a systems change approach. So I'll have Chris uh, give our second reason why this book is so important. I would say that the second reason that this book is really important is because there is no applied comprehensive resource on how to facilitate systems change in public health. And so this book was really needed to provide practitioners with a tangible resource that they can use to help them build the skills and have the tools they need to lead collaborative change in their organizations and in their communities. 
So one thing that we know is that practitioners are generally very well trained in a particular public health skill set, such as the program planning cycle or epidemiology, but they are less familiar with the skills on how to lead systems change. And today, now more than ever in this complex world that we live in, it's asking our leaders to address the underlying systems challenges that lead to less than optimal health and health inequities, particularly for people of color that are connected with structural racism and social conditions in which people live and work and play. So I would say that's a second reason that this book is important. I was struck by the way this book dealt with leadership in systems. It talked about leadership from a number of different perspectives, the personal perspective, the interpersonal relationships, team building, and then the larger community engagement. Can you explain why you use these different frameworks, these different competencies in this book? I think in traditional thinking about leadership is, is we typically think that leaders are people who have a position of authority, such as a CEO, a vice president, or a president. In public health, we tend to view leaders as individuals who have technical expertise or subject matter expertise. But in systems change leadership, the underlying paradigm really is that everyone is a leader and that leadership is, is more of a process that everyone can learn and engage in no matter what their title. So I can be a coordinator, I can be a manager, I can be a director, I can be a community member, a community stakeholder, and I can be a leader. And the way that we look at that is that we can develop ourselves as leaders at multiple different levels. So at the individual level, I can look at what are my values? What are my strengths? At the interpersonal level, I can look at how do I be in better relationship with other people? The same goes for my team. I, there are skills that I can learn for how to be a better team member. There are things that we can do in our organizations that allow us to be more equity focused. And there are, there are skills that we can learn in relationship to community for how to be better community leaders. And so it, it opens up the um, spectrum of what leadership means when we think about it more broadly like this. And one other thing I will say is that, you know, Public Health 3.0 is calling for our leaders and our agencies to be chief health strategists. And this book really gives this particular skills and tools for how to do that. I was very impressed by the skills that this book outlines, such as listening to other members of the work group and also not debating other members of the work group, but trying to come to areas of agreement. It seems to me, however, if an individual has these skills, if the people he or she works with doesn't have the skills, it would be an obstacle to achieving systems change. Can you talk more about the obstacles? Is systems change something that can be achieved if many of us in the field don't have these skills yet? I think one of the obstacles to achieving systems change is that public health practitioners are not generally trained on how to do this type of work. And we don't do a great job 
in the field in developing practitioners in this way. We do do a great job in developing practitioners as technical and subject matter experts, but and as a result, they're less prepared to lead this sort of systems change. But if they are educated in systems change, then they can they can do this sort of work. And that's an important thing we want to get across in this book about the importance of the education in the systems change framework. I'll pass it over to Christina. Relatedly, but just a little bit separately, public health practitioners were also trained to solve problems and make decisions, particularly for individual behavior change and, as Chris already said, technical content disease-oriented type issues. Fortunately, complex and population health issues don't do well with individual behavior change. It's really looking at multiple causes with multiple approaches at multiple levels that we need to be able to understand and ex explore. And so, and they're ever-changing. These challenges are ever-changing. And so, if we're going to address these problems, training needs to really be handled differently. We can't keep solving these problems in the same way over and over again. So, what we like to say and what we say in the book is we need to think about how public health can promote learning over time and learning with others and learning in action. Instead of this idea that we have a one-time webinar or a series of trainings that build our skills or build individual competency, we need to think about how we can work together collectively and learn together collectively uh, over time and then reflect on what lessons learned we pick up as we make these changes and shifts to address the complex problems. This really is about then asking questions and having an inquiry mindset facilitation skills, integration skills, um, rather than jumping to solutions. So we are really calling for a transformation in the way in which public health practitioners are educated so that they can learn and learn together and learn um, in action. And we think that's really important for systems change. We do provide tools, as you noted, in the book, though, that you can apply right now. Every chapter has a tool uh, as well as um, lessons and resources that folks can take and really think about and uh, work with our colleagues today. So per your point, Dr. Novak could do some of this work right now. That was the purpose of the book while also making this larger commentary and ask for shifting the way in which we, we do our education in public health. Throughout the book, there's an overriding principle of health equity and racial justice. How is this applied in system change what are some of the approaches to achieving this? First thing Chris and I want to acknowledge, and I, I suspect Grace would and Brian would as well as co-editors, as we have the privilege to even think about this. The fact that we can even think and reflect about the role of racial justice as opposed to it being something we experience every day. So our positionality is white, well-educated, middle or upper class, side gender, able-bodied, and we're privileged. So I'm not sure that we can um, necessarily say what will or won't rectify or really address health equity or racial just uh, move toward racial justice, but we can understand, explore, and co-create with our colleagues of color uh, as allies in this work. This book does have uh, multiple principles and perspectives from our partners, such as human impact partners, the Morton group who wrote the chapter on organizational change and others that talk about ways in which systems change can be employed with a racial justice lens. 
one of the first key principles that we have learned and, and the book talks about is public health really needs to think with its heart and with its head that so much of racial injustice has impacted black and brown and indigenous communities in ways that is harmful emotionally, physically, spiritually, in, in very robust and in negative ways. And so we have to feel that, not just talk about data and know that every day throughout the day, our colleagues of color are experiencing potential racist acts. And so I have the privilege and to be able to, to, to really work with my parts to say, how are we going to support and, and be an ally? So, so I think what you, one of your questions is why take a racial justice lens uh, to systems change leadership? And I, I think the first piece of this is that if we in public health really want to improve population health and facilitate health equity and racial equity, if we really want all people to be healthy in holistic ways, we must address the centuries of unjust, unequal racist policies and practices that have impacted today's desperate health outcomes. We must do the work to unlearn our mental models, which is the key component to the basics of systems change about how we approach health and the impacts of policies from housing, education, employment, healthcare um, that have negatively impact, impacted black and brown and indigenous communities so that we can co-create in a racially and economic just world. So when we apply a racial justice lens to our systems thinking work, the outcome or the change we seek is racial justice or racial equity, where race and eth ethnic identity no longer systemically expose people to risks, and it doesn't grant people privileges with regard to social, economic, or life outcomes. It's critical for systems change leadership and public health because as a field, this is something we are committed to and must be committed to if we're really going to make an impact. First, I think Chris and I want to acknowledge the so, so what? So what do we do? What's What are the tools in the book that um, and concepts and principles. Um, the, the second thing that we need to do is work in as an ally to have joint approaches to racial analysis, to looking at these policies and our centuries of the history around the impact they've had on our communities today. So we do this together. We do an analysis of these policies and their impact together. And then finally, the third thing um, that I'll just say that why this is important to take a racial justice lens and the way in which to do that is that it's not only about solving the problem, because again, as I said, I'm not sure we can say we're going to solve or rectify uh, issues of racism and uh, systemic racism and other forms of injustice. Instead, it's about a process for redistributing power and redistributing resources in communities that have been marginalized or traditionally under-resourced. So those are three ways in which the book talks, and there are others, the book talks about applying a racial justice lens uh, and the importance of it in our book. An outstanding part of the book is the last four chapters, which provide examples of how systems change can be applied to actual situations, such as feeding children, developing public health workforce, and also the example of COVID-19 in Cook County. Can you discuss how understanding systems change help public health professionals deal with the chaos and uncertainty of the COVID-19 19 pandemic. 
I'll ask that of Christina because you're from Chicago, so you're quite familiar with that example. Sure. I was pleased to be a co-author with several colleagues that one currently works at the Cook County Department of Public Health, which actually sits outside of Chicago. It is 125 municipalities with 2.5 million people, some of the wealthiest and poorest in the country, experiencing great forms of inequity and disparate health outcomes. And I used to work at Cook County and now serve as a um, evaluator, uh, several different grants on their COVID prevention and mitigation work. Gina Masuda Barnett is their deputy director of programs, and so she's the lead author on this particular chapter. Milka Becky is a co-author who also is a former colleague of Cook County and now does uh, some preparedness work in a contractual basis. So to answer your question, you know, I would like to I'll just share a little bit of the story of Cook County because I think it provides this example of how we applied systems thinking really over the last almost, it's been 20 years. You know, the first thing just to note that's important about Cook County is the context. So we say in the book, one of the first things you need to do is understand the challenge at hand. And so to do that, Cook County, um, to really set the stage here, as I already alluded to, it's this highly complex, diverse county uh, with uh, 125 different municipalities with different jurisdictions. There's the data that Cook County demonstrates growing inequities and health disparities in black and brown communities. And then like most health departments across the nation, but especially in suburban communities and rural, more rural communities, uh, we see a decline in funding, staffing, and overall resources. So the question came 20 years ago as Cook County first tried to respond to emergency preparedness after the 9-11 attacks was in that context, how do we best meet the federal mandates to prophylax 2.3 million people in the event of a bioterrorism attack? How do we have an effective public health planning and preparedness and response approach with this complex jurisdiction with no overarching authority, a health department that didn't have enough nurses to be able to support this uh, huge endeavor? So we began to wonder as a team, how could we organize this region to leverage our partners' assets? How could we really build public value with our partners in a way that was meaningful and would impact those that might need it the most? And could we even build capacity beyond bioterrorism and really go for full use is what we called it. So how did we apply systems thinking? First, we reframed this challenge from a technical one to an adaptive one. So this wasn't about just prophylaxing our residents in this threat of a bioterrorism event. This was about really building holistic preparedness for climate change or uh, environmental threats, which Cook County, interestingly, is uh, one of the first in the nation to experience uh, different sort of vector-impacted type diseases like West Nile virus. It was the second in the nation to be impacted back in 2000s uh, with West Nile virus. So thinking more broadly about preparedness and how could we really have a system as opposed to the health department delivering? How could we uh, really work together to be an all responsive, all multi-partner sector approach? The next thing we did then was to check, could this happen? Could we partner with fire, police, FBI, the hospitals, the emergency managers, the residents, the areas on aging, all the other partners, so we asked them about, well, what were their assets and what do they think about how we could approach uh, emergency preparedness? And lo and behold, we found that already there were these response systems in, in place. Cook County is home to one of the first 
regional fire response systems in the country. It's called MABIS, Mutual Aid Box Alarm System, and this is discussed in this chapter. So we were able to leverage these natural systems throughout Cook County and tap into them to create several different planning and response bodies that we could work with across the various sectors, schools, fire, police, emergency management, so on and so forth, at the community, regional, and then county level across the um, jurisdiction. And so that uh, then the third thing was then this deep partnership because we authentically listened and were wanting to share resources and really work together. We, we were able to establish these deep partnerships that quite frankly are still alive today. Uh, and so I'm happy to talk about the implications for COVID, but uh, you can also read about it in the book that this approach and the systems thinking principles carried over today to what is now even more racially just equity focused work on preparedness that is being uh, implemented for the COVID-19 response, as well as really how that impacts Cook County uh, more broadly. So those are um, a couple of steps we took to apply systems thinking 20 years ago that are still carrying over in our learning today as we reflect on uh, how we can improve to respond to COVID. Thank you, Christina. You pointed out something the book does emphasize, which is forming partnerships and also community engagement. The last question I'll ask is about the future. What happens in the next major public health crisis? Are there any other lessons apart from what was just discussed from systems thinking that we can apply? COVID has certainly been a complex public health issue, and these issues require a systems thinking approach. And there will be more complex challenges in the future. And I think one of the, the key lessons that we can apply to the future is that systems thinking is a leadership skill set that can be taught and learned. And in order to engage in systems change leadership, practitioners really deserve the opportunities to develop these skills. This takes time, it takes effort, it takes money to create these sorts of opportunities. And these kinds of opportunities should be part of what we offer to individuals in the field, and they should also be embedded in our organizational cultures. I think a, another lesson um, for the future, which is still a lesson for today, but one that we need to remember more and more, and it does represent Public Health 3.0 and being a community health strategist is that systems change leadership is a process and not a title or a role. That it would help us if we really acknowledge that we are all leaders. And when I say all, I mean our community members, our community partners, our colleagues in public health, and that we can really collectively develop our leadership potential as we work together in teams and, and alliances. This really will help, I think, and with an equity mindset, change our workplace cultures instead of it being top down or hierarchical, uh, that we can work in authentic relationship with communities and with our partners to create relevant and meaningful solutions. As Chris said, these skills can be taught not only to public health practitioners, but to students of public health. My career has been both as a public health practitioner and also as a teacher of public health. And I was very glad to see in the book the emphasis on lifelong learning using case study methods to teach public health. 
And this book itself can be a great teaching resource. And I was thinking that each chapter is so chock full of skills and tools that this should be discussed by groups after reading each chapter to fully get these points across. Have you, Christina and Chris, thought of how this book would be used by students in academic settings or by public health practitioners in continuing education? I'll speak from the practitioner side. One thing that I see is that there is a lot of question about how to apply an equity lens to our work that we do, how to share power. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so I think that the chapters that are included in this, in this book that focus on those particular topics are a, a very important and useful tool to give to practitioners so that they you know have something that they could read as a group and share and discuss and talk about how they might apply the tools that are shared in the book how they might adapt those tools there's just a lot of hunger for this sort of thing in practice right now and not real clear sense of where to go to find what to do so we tried to bring together you know the best of what we know to to share it with people. And I think if people have the opportunity to go to these chapters, read them, discuss them, practice the tools, adapt the tools, that that's a, that's a nice place to start for practitioners. So I'm the director of our doctorate in public health leadership at University of Illinois Chicago School of Public Health. Uh, and we have done just what you said, we, uh, based on some of our leadership topics, which are about systems change. Our, our program focuses on adaptive leadership and systems change. We have asked students to read the chapter and then apply the tool to action learning projects. Um, so it became a nice uh, knowledge, building uh, knowledge, skills, and then um, application using Bloom's taxonomy. The book sets you up for, to be able to do that in the classroom. And I think it's appropriate at multiple levels, depending on the content and context that you presented in. So I supplemented the book chapters with other materials that perhaps were more conceptual, and this was the applied piece. I also would just add to what Chris said, which I think is very true. You can pick this book up and apply it right now. A lot of our training centers and our workforce development centers the book represents a lot of their work. I think now we could ask that the book be uh, used and embedded in different training enterprises because it does allow for a webinar, webinar series, and or it could really be an A to Z systems change toolkit. So I think there's a lot of potential for um, next steps and we look forward to that opportunity. This book is a major development, introduces system change into public health, both for practitioners and others that are interested in advancing the field. Thank you for this excellent discussion.